1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven from uh, from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Paul's dealing with a concern in the Thessalonian church that they had about the expected at any moment return of Jesus for his church. Now we're going to deal with that topic and that aspect of the return of Jesus to come and rapture his church and the fact that Paul taught, and we're going to look at that in more detail tonight later in our study, about very clearly Paul and the other apostles were teaching to be ready at any moment because Jesus could come and take the church at any moment. There was, there's nothing waiting for the return of Jesus for his church. Now, there's still a lot of things that the Bible says are going to have to happen before Jesus comes and steps foot on the earth and sets up his kingdom. But the Bible is very clear that, that, that the return of Jesus for his bride is at hand. And that term at hand, which is used a lot in the Bible, is referring to the fact that there's nothing else that it's waiting for. It's the next thing we're to be watching for and the return. And so Paul taught this and we'll get, again, get into that in more detail in a little bit. But at the same time, I want you to also understand that because Paul had been teaching the church there that Jesus was going to come and take all of the believers to be with him up to heaven before the great and awesome day of the Lord, which we'll get into next time we get together in chapter five. The believers were ready for it and watching for it and it hadn't happened in a little while. And now on top of that, some of the other believers were dying. And they were thinking, well, they're going to miss that day. Because Jesus is going to come and take everybody here and snatch them off the earth and take them to heaven. Well, the people that have died, they're going to miss that day. And Paul says, I want to help you guys with this. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. And we're going to do a little bit of a study tonight. And normally I bomb you with scriptures. Tonight I'm going to nuke you with scriptures. All right. So I'm just going to warn you. Just be ready for it. You might want to have a pen and paper because I'm going to hit you with a lot. Because we need to really understand this term asleep. You're going to see from the scriptures, this, the Bible asleep is used in a couple of ways. But most of the time when it's referring to believers, referring to people who have died, it's referring to believers who have gone to be with the Lord, who their bodies look like they're sleeping. They're still alive. Kind of like when we've talked about before when I was here last time. They're going to be sometimes you ever notice one of your, your friends or your loved ones who are like so dead asleep. You wondered if they're alive and you want to go touch them, you know, or put a mirror under their nose and see if they're breathing. It's that kind of a deal where they're still alive, but they look dead. And the, the Bible uses this term, and I'm going to show you a lot of places in which it does, to describe believers who have gone to be with the Lord. Their bodies are dead looking, but they're still alive. They're just not in their bodies anymore. And so let me show you what I'm talking about that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Look at verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. Paul is dealing with people that are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. He says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, no, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, you see that term there, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if we in Christ have hope in this life only, we're of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here we see that the term fallen asleep is talking about believers who have died, believers in Christ who have died and their bodies look dead, and they kind of are, but they're still alive. All right, go to 1 Corinthians 15, back to verse 6. Then he, Jesus, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So if there's some are still alive and some have fallen asleep, some are alive and some are dead. Not napping, dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 55. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're going to deal with that more later tonight. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. By the way, I've seen that cross-stitched in a few church nurseries. <laughs> Some of you got it. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then so come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So here we again see that not everybody's going to sleep. Not everybody's going to die. But everybody's going to be changed. Some are going to be changed while they're still alive on the earth and caught up to go be with the Lord. Others are going to be dead, yet still alive, sleeping, if you will. And they're going to be changed as well. And we'll go back to that in just a little bit that Paul talks about. But I'm not even close to done showing you how the Bible talks about this term. Go to Matthew 27. Look at verses 51 through 53. Matthew 27, starting in verse 51. It says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So at Jesus' uh, death, the curtain was torn, and some of the Old Testament saints who had died came to life. They got up and walked around and were preaching in the city of Jerusalem. But again, they were described as having fallen asleep. Go to Acts chapter 7. Look at verses 59 and 60. Again, another passage we will come back to a little bit later tonight. 
that will help us in a later part of our study. Acts 7, 59 and 60 says, And they, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What is happening to Stephen right now? He's being stoned. He didn't take a nap during this. You can't nap when they're stoning you. He fell asleep. He, he did what? He died. That's why he told the Lord, receive my spirit. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. Look at verses 1 through 4. Paul said, this is now, I'm sorry, Peter said, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep. They, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So here, as he's dealing with the fact that in the last days, there's going to be people saying, well, where is this return of Jesus? You guys, Christians keep talking about Jesus is going to come back. The early church thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. Paul said, and we who are alive are going to be caught up and, and uh, we're not all going to be uh, asleep, or, but we'll all be changed. He, he used the term we like it was going to happen in his lifetime, but it didn't happen in Paul's lifetime. And it's now been almost 2000 years since all this stuff was written. And where is this? Where is this coming? And they are going to say, ever since all the Old Testament people who believed fell asleep, everything continues to go on. The term falling asleep is really clearly used to describe believers who are dead. Go to John chapter 11, the best illustration of what we're talking about here. It's actually Jesus's own words, and it's kind of funny. And John chapter 11, look at verses 11 through 14, when he's talking about Lazarus, and he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He said, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. All right. Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. You and I know if someone's pretty sick, one of the best things they need is sleep. Take a day off. Go, go lay down. Take a nap. And so when Jesus said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. He's talking about Lazarus's death. They hear sleep, meaning real sleep, not death. And they're like, Jesus, why are you going to wake him? Don't, don't you know nothing? Let him sleep. <laughs> if he's rest, he'll recover. Jesus says, uh, he's dead. So here we see that the term fallen asleep is referring to believers who have died and have gone to be with the Lord. Now, this is also important that I, I say that last little part. Believers who have died and gone to be with the Lord, because there are those in Christendom who teach a, a thing called soul sleep. Because, as you've already seen, the term sleep is used a lot. There are those who actually believe, and, and they've been taught in their Christian churches, that when a believer or an unbeliever dies, their soul goes to sleep. Anybody has died in Christ, they're not with Christ right now. Their bodies went in the grave and their soul just went to sleep. They're not awake. They're not alert. Believer, believers and unbelievers aren't 
alert right now if they've died. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So I'm going to kind of show you that from Scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 9. Paul says, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, he's talking about our bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. By the way, if you've ever gone looking for that passage of scripture where it says absent from the body is present with the Lord and you don't have a King James translation, it probably was frustrating because you couldn't find it. That's because absent from the body present with the Lord is in the King James translation. But you see here, this is that passage where it is coming from. And the Bible's real clear that if we're absent from the body, we actually go immediately to be with the Lord. Our souls don't go to sleep. We're eternal. We have received eternal life. Now, again, let's let Scripture lay this out for us, though, instead of me trying to convince you. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23 Paul at this point is in a Roman prison and he's not sure if he's going to live or die. By the end of his letter here, he's come to the conclusion that he will live. But when he starts writing it, he wasn't sure. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, listen to what he says, though. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I'll not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh, he goes on and says, it's more necessary in your account. So what he's saying is this. He says, I'm torn right now. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And I want to be, uh, be pleasing to God whichever way, whether I die, whether I, I live if I live in the body, that means more years of reward that I can accrue for the time I do get to go be with the Lord. But at the same time, as awesome as it would be to be in heaven and have more reward, if I go be with the Lord now, that, I think that's better. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus. And folks, I want to encourage you with this because it's one of the saddest things I've had to deal with in my years of ministry is as a traveling preacher and as a pastor in different churches around the country over the last 40 years, is I've seen so many older folks who have been in the church, when it comes to their time of death, they're fearful. They're, they're a little bit scared. They're hoping they're going to go. When the Bible says that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. 1 John 5, 13, John says, I write these things to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
The Bible actually says that as we get closer to heaven, the more excited we should get because we're now living in bodies that are getting worse and worse because of, the, of sin and the curse that's still on our bodies. And as we've already read, we groan. We're not suicidal, but we would love to get out of these bodies and go be with the Lord. But listen to what the scripture says. When you leave this body, where do you go? You go to be with Jesus. Well, go back to Acts chapter 7. We'll start in verse 54. Acts chapter 7, listen to verses 54 through 60. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. This is Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Listen, Stephen, as he was dying, saw heaven opened and Jesus standing, welcoming him into his presence. By the way, if you don't know this, this is kind of a big deal that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the father. Because didn't the Bible say that after he had finished, he went and sat down at the right hand of the father? Yet he stood to welcome Stephen into his presence. By the way, receive my spirit. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Go with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. And we will start in verse 44. And then we're going to go back to some verses just prior to that. Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after having said this, he breathed his last. Now jump back to verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then as we just read, Jesus said, Father, receive my spirit. And he breathed his last and Jesus went to the father. Oh, and who got to go to the father with him? The thief on the cross who had changed his mind about who Jesus was during that time that he was on the cross. Bibles really clear, folks. When you die, your soul doesn't go to sleep. You go to be with Jesus. You're awake and alert. And I can actually prove this to you. And well, I told you, I'm just going to nuke you with scriptures. We're not even done. Go to real quickly. Matthew 17. Look at verses 1 through 3. This is when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 3. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And then he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking 
with him. So here we have Moses and Elijah, who had already died many hundreds of years prior to this, who are now there on the mountain with Jesus, talking with Jesus. But that's not all the information we need. Let's look at Luke's account. Go to Luke 9. We need Luke's account to give us a little more information. In Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 31... Luke 9, 28 through 31, it says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he, this is Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Not only were Moses and Elijah standing there and talking with Jesus, they were talking with Jesus about what was just going to happen in a few days there in Jerusalem through his death and his resurrection. By the way, did y'all catch this? Moses and Elijah knew what was going on. They're alert. They're awake. Actually, Jesus in John chapter 8 said this. He said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They knew exactly what he was saying. They're saying, wait a minute, you've seen Abraham? They go, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And of course, Jesus then goes on and says, before Abraham was even born, I am. And he is claiming to be God. Of course, they then tried to stone him because he was claiming to be God. In their minds, they thought he was uh, blaspheming. But listen to what he said. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. He's awake. And he was glad. Remember the story Jesus told of Lazarus and the rich man? Not a parable. True story. These people have names. The rich man dies and awakes in where? In hell, in Hades, the place of fiery torment until the great lake of fire. Lazarus went into the presence of God and he's awake and alert. So listen, I got good news for you. I want to encourage you with some things tonight. Those that you know in your family and your friends who are believers in Jesus, who have already died, are not going to miss out on the rapture. They have died, but they're awake. They've fallen asleep, if you will. Their bodies look, look kind of dead, but they're really awake and they're really alive. And uh, they're going to come with Jesus when he comes back to gather everybody. Now, I might be getting ahead of myself here, but I just got to talk about it. Whenever I do funerals and I do a graveside, I'll often, if not always, preach from the passage of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. You know why? Because in that passage, go back there and take a look at what he says. He says this, he says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, believers who have died and gone to be with the Lord, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And what I always point out to people is, as we go to a cemetery and we see it as a grave site, we see it as a place of death. But I don't see it that way for those who are in Christ. 
If this person that we're just laying their body in the ground, <laughs> if, you, if they were a believer in Jesus and they've gone to be with Jesus, you should actually look at this ground as resurrection ground. Not a place of death and burial and sadness, but actually, have you ever thought about what kind of reunion we're going to have in, at the rapture? We've always thought about the rapture and getting out of our bodies and getting our new bodies and going to be with Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that my mom and dad are going to come with them? I haven't seen them in over 10 years. But they're alive and they're awake and they're enjoying his presence, but they haven't gotten their new bodies yet. But their bodies are going to come out of the ground first. And those of us who are alive, if I'm alive at that time, remember, we're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, we're going to go to meet him in the clouds. We're going to go, go meet with him. And that's what we need to be excited about. Now, we get all caught up in the times and the seasons, and we're going to deal with all that next time we get together. Remember, no Bible study next week, but the week after that, when we get into chapter 5, when Paul says, I don't need to write to you about the times and the seasons, we're going to, we're going to look also at the fact that Jesus himself told his uh, disciples when they were trying to figure out the return of Jesus and the setting up of the kingdom and all this stuff. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You know why? Because that's not for us. We're to be watching for and looking for Jesus' return. That's the next thing we're to be looking for. We're not taught to look for the Antichrist. We're going to learn a little bit about that when we get there in our study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. But for right now, I just want to encourage you with something. If you're in Christ, when you die, you ain't dying. Your body's going to go to sleep, but you are going to go into the presence of the Lord. You're going to go see him. And you're going to be with him until he does this rapture that he's got planned. And... Those of us who are alive are going to be caught up and all that's going to happen at the same time. And that's going to be a fun reunion. It's going to be a blast. Do you have something to say? Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I have a quick thing. Have you ever, I've always thought it was funny because I want to be creamy and spread, right? We're going there next. I know. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, there's Dave, there's Dave, there's Dave. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's going to happen like that. But, but, but this is a great point because, because of this passage, there are those who taught for years in the church that you can't be cremated. Because there has to be a body to come up out of the ground. And if you've been cremated and sprinkled, now Jesus can't rapture you. But let me say a couple of things to you. And let's just let human logic and reason work here. Um, first of all, there have been people, probably even family members of yours, who were in the military and were buried at sea. I'm not trying to be gross, but I'm pretty sure there might have been a large animal or two that might have eaten something of their body and pooped it all over the ocean. Let's just say you didn't change the battery in your smoke detector because you got tired of the beeping and your house burns down tonight. Guess what? You've just been cremated. Oh, on top of that, all those people that were put in the ground with a proper burial and they've been there for a thousand or two years, what are their bodies right now? Dust. And how did God make our bodies in the first place? I don't think he's too bothered by that. Again, there's a danger in taking scripture and making it say something that it's not saying. No, don't worry about all that stuff. By the way, do we fully understand how this is all going to be? No, we don't. There's parts of it we don't know. Uh, Tim LaHaye, who wrote those books, the Left Behind series, as you know. Actually, I know Tim. And actually, in all my years of going to this prophecy conference that I am going to next week, I would see Tim. And he and I, well, he's with the Lord now, but he and I are friends and he and his buddies are always going back and forth because in his books and in his movies, when people are raptured, 
their clothes are left behind and their rings are left behind. And of course, the other guys are saying, the Bible doesn't say that. He goes, yeah, but you know, God's not going to rapture our clothes. And it, well, there's parts of it we don't understand. Don't worry about that. We can get so caught up in the when and the how and the what and all this stuff. You missed the point. We don't need to grieve. It's okay to grieve. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Jesus is going to come and get us, but only that, when he comes to get us, he's going to bring with him those who have already gone to be with him. It's going to be a reunion. We're going to go be with the Lord. What an awesome day that's going to be. And that's why the early church would greet each other with the term Maranatha. Till the Lord comes. By the way, did you know that Paul had already hinted to the fact of the fact that Jesus was going to bring with him those who have already died just in the previous chapter, and you might have missed it. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, and look, I'm sorry, chapter 3, and look at verse 13. Right after he's talking about the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another as we do for you. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. But now let's go back and look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and look at an aspect of something Paul says here in verse 15 that is very important. In verse 15, he says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And then he goes into great detail. We're going to get into tonight a little bit about the trumpet of God, the archangel's voice, and all this stuff. We're going to deal with that. But let's deal with this question what is this word from the Lord? Now, some people think, well, it was something Jesus had said in the Old Testament about this. I don't believe so, and I'll show you why in a little bit. Others would think, well, maybe when Jesus was on the earth, he taught a few things. Well, we don't have anything recorded in the New Testament about that from the Gospels, I mean. Actually, I think when Paul says what we're sharing with you is a word from the Lord, he's actually saying this is something that Jesus told me himself when he taught me face to face. You remember in Paul's situation, he actually was a persecutor of the church. And after he got saved, God brought him out into the desert of Arabia for three years and taught him face to face. And when he was done that time period of getting taught face to face by Jesus himself, Paul went to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders to make sure the things that he had received from the Lord did match up with what they were teaching. But he said, this I receive as a word from the Lord. So what we're seeing here is something that Paul got from Jesus in that time where Jesus taught him face to face. And I have further evidence of this. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. He uses a term, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and following. He uses a term that we read tonight already in this passage that you might have missed. He said, look at verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we, who are alive, will be changed. Now, when he says, go ahead. We're getting there. Hang on, I know where you're going. We're getting there. Yep. But the, what, he, what I want you to see, first of all, is the fact that he's saying, what I'm sharing with you now is something that the Lord showed me. That's very important, because I'm going to show you other place, another place in Scripture where he said that, and it's kind of important, because a lot of people are going to learn something probably tonight you've never learned about the Lord's Supper. If you have, good for you. 
But I'm going to tell you that I'm going to say 80% of you go, I didn't know that. But hang on to that. That's going to be important. So he uses this term mystery. And if you look at the scriptures and use this term, understand this term mystery, it's something that hadn't been revealed prior to this or an aspect of this that hadn't been revealed prior to this. So when he says we tell you a mystery, it's like a secret that has been revealed to Paul. Let me give you an example of how he used it in another place that will help you. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. He's talking about a different mystery here in Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 6. But it'll help us understand this term mystery. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy prophets, sorry, apostles and prophets by the Spirit, Holy Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul says, let me share something with you. There's a mystery that I want to make clear to you about the Jews and the Gentiles in the church. And this mystery had not been revealed in previous generations to other people, but now has been revealed to us apostles and prophets through the Holy Spirit as a revelation. Now, beware of anybody now that says, well, I've had a revelation from God and God's given me a new word. Be no, we've got the closed canon of Scripture. But at this time... God was revealing some things to the church through the apostles and the prophets that he gave at that time. And he was telling them things that that had not been revealed prior to this. And so when Paul says what I received with the word from the Lord, he's talking about a revelation that God gave him about the rapture that hadn't been revealed. By the way, the mystery that he's talking about here in Ephesians 3 is the fact that the Jews and the Gentiles would be equal in God's eyes when it comes to salvation and all the promises. It wasn't a mystery that Gentiles would be saved. Because if you go to the Old Testament, I could show you 5, 10, 20 places where the Bible in the Old Testament said that God was going to save Gentiles. That the, the nation of Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Simeon, when he goes into the temple and sees Jesus on the day he was being uh, offered, you know, and, and dedicated to the Lord. Simeon says when he prophesies, he'll be a light to the Gentiles. The Gentiles being saved was not a mystery. But what is the mystery part that had been not been revealed prior was that the Gentiles get to be equal in the eyes of God with all with the Jews and all the promises. I mean, if you remember, in the early part of the church, they tried to have a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And they tried to make the Gentiles follow the Jewish laws. And Paul and the apostles had to fight hard to say, no, no, no. There's one church. There's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There's one church. And the mystery that had been revealed was that we're co-heirs. All the promises that Israel is going to receive when they're reconciled, they're ours now. And when we get to heaven, you ever notice the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem? It's got 12 gates and 12 foundations and 12 of them are the apostles of the Lamb and 12 of them are the 12 tribes of Israel. And by the way, John was told, let me show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The bride's not just the church. Right now it's the church, but it's going to be made up eternally of the Jews, the nation of Israel and the church. 
the Gentiles. Folks, this is a cool thing. So when Paul says, what I received, I'm sharing with you, is a word from the Lord. I believe he's saying, this is something God showed me that hasn't been revealed. Let me show you some more about this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's another place that he said this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verses 23 through 26. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul again uses that term. I received something from the Lord that I want to reveal to you that you don't know. Now, most of us would say, wait a minute, Jim. We have already the recordings of Matthew and Mark and Luke and the Gospels of that Last Supper in the upper room where Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Here's the thing you might not know. At the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hadn't been written yet. So this is actually the first recording that we have written down and that the early church had written down of what happened in the upper room that night. So when Paul said, what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. He shared what happened in the upper room and Paul wasn't even there. And on top of that, he then adds a little bit more and says, oh, and whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't that cool? So this rapture teaching in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, it's something that kind of had been hinted at in the Old Testament, but really hadn't been revealed and Paul had been given more information, and he's sharing it with us. Now, we mentioned earlier at the beginning of our study tonight that the early believers were taught the imminent, at any moment, return of Jesus for them. I'm just going to give you some scriptures. we got time. I'm going to give you some scriptures to kind of deal with this. I don't have time to get into it fully. Maybe one day I'll just, for the fun of it, do a whole Bible study on the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Because I believe without question that the Bible is extremely clear that the rapture of the church, Jesus taking his bride, has to be prior to the tribulation period and before the millennial kingdom where Jesus comes and literally sets up his kingdom on the earth. Now, there's great debate amongst believers, people I love and respect who don't see it that way. Some people think it's going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation. Something is going to happen at the end of the tribulation. I will stand before God for everything that I have said that he said. And I take it very seriously. And I will look you in the eye and say, after having deeply studied it for 40 years and wrestling with it, I'm actually convinced that the scriptures teach this. And that's what I'm going to teach. I'm not going to teach the other views because I don't believe they're fully biblical. I think they use a scripture here and a scripture there, and they try to prove their argument that way. But using the whole of scripture, I think the only view that works is the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. But I want to just show you from a few scriptures real quickly how Paul taught that Jesus' return could be at any moment. Now, let me just remind you, if he doesn't come back until the midpoint of the tribulation or the end of the tribulation, there are some things that still have to happen before he can come back. 
Because you know the Bible says that there's going to be this peace treaty, seven-year covenant that's been confirmed by the Antichrist. There's going to be a, a, a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem in order for the Antichrist to step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God. We haven't got a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem yet, right? Well, that means that his return's not at hand because we still got to have our temple rebuilt before he can come back. Now, that doesn't mean it won't happen before the rapture, but to teach that there's nothing that has to happen before he comes back you can't teach that if there are still some things that have to happen before he comes back. Go to Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 11. It said, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And, and so he says is this. Your salvation is nearer today than it was yesterday. And the time is at hand. And we're not going to have you turn there. But in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, uh, James says this. He says, I don't, he, says uh, he says, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious rain and for, and for, its, for his crops and the weight of the early and the latter rains. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, you also... Be patient. Establish your own hearts. And don't quarrel and grumble against one another. And don't judge one another. Because the judge is at the door. The time is at hand. The return of Jesus for his church could be at any moment. 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Look at verse 22. The very end of his letter. Look at what he says. He says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Isn't that cool? Our Lord, come. By the way, how does the book of Revelation end? The Spirit and the bride say, come. Philippians 3. Go to Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Go to Philippians 3, 20 and 21. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Sounds like the rapture, doesn't it? He's coming and he's going to change our bodies. Oh, what about those who died, Jim? Don't make me start over. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 through 16. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We're to fight the good fight of the faith until when? Until Jesus is appearing, which he will do at the proper time. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible's pretty clear. The church was told to watch for who? For Jesus. When? At any moment. Be ready. The day is at hand. That's the next thing on the calendar is him coming to gather his bride. Until then, we're to be living in obedience as we've already looked at in our lives and holiness and purity and making sure we're ready. By the way, do you know that the, the Jewish wedding had three parts? There was the betrothal in which the groom would go and agree on a purchase price for the bride. Once the groom and the father had agreed on their purchase price, the groom would pay that price and they would be legally married. They called it betrothed. She still lived in her house with mom and her mom and dad. He would go, the young man, the groom, would go now to his father's house and he would make ready the preparations for the wedding. Now, the girl didn't know when he was coming back. She knew she was now married to him, betrothed, engaged. It's a legally binding thing, like Mary and Joseph, before they came together. She didn't know the day. Nowadays, when we have weddings, our daughter, Nicole, is 30 years old. She's getting married February 3rd. By the way, if you get an invitation, feel special because the venue's small and we've had to cut the list way, 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 way down. And we know tens of thousands of people who are all hoping to be invited. And I, sorry, I'll speak for her now, we're sorry. But at the same time, the day's already set and we know when it is and we're making preparations and we're gonna hopefully be there. At the same time though, the Jewish girl didn't know. The young man would then go back to his father's house after purchasing the, from the bride's father and buying her he would go to his father's house and make preparations. And he only could go get her when his dad said it was time and he was ready. And when the father said, it's time, go get your bride, he would actually go and snatch her quietly and quickly. And they'd have a private consummation. They didn't have a big ceremony. They'd go have sex in a tent. And then they'd come out and he would come with his bride and everybody would celebrate and they'd enter into the marriage feast, which I believe is going to be the millennial kingdom. He's going to come. He's already paid the price, has he not? He's ransomed us. We've been betrothed. We're waiting for that day and he's going to come get us and take us to be with him. And then we're going to come back with him into the millennial kingdom, which is going to be a thousand year feast. But go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. There's some things in here that Paul got from the Lord that we need to look at. It says he will descend from heaven. If you remember John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Did you catch that? Context is my Father's house. I'm going to come get you and take you to be with me. He's coming in the clouds, and we're going to go meet him in the clouds. He's not coming down to the earth and setting up his kingdom on the earth yet. Prior to that, coming and stepping foot on the earth and setting up his kingdom and judging the world, he's going to take us to go be with him in the clouds. In Acts chapter 1, because of time, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and following, uh, the disciples, after having just been taught by Jesus, after he rose from the dead, Jesus taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. 
says that in verses 1 through 5. And so after 40 days of Jesus teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, in verse 6 they ask him, they say, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? So this is actually important, because a lot of people try to make the kingdom of God some spiritual, ethereal thing, and it not literal. If Jesus was teaching that the kingdom of God was not a literal kingdom to come on the earth, the disciples, after 40 days of him teaching, would not say, are you going to set up the kingdom now? They would have understood. But it is a literal kingdom to come on the earth. But Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. That's not for you. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. And then after he said this, Jesus was ascended into the cloud. Cloud took him up. And the angels all of a sudden appeared and they said, why are you looking up into heaven? They same Jesus is going to come back in the same way in which he left. He's going to come in the clouds. We're going to go meet him in the clouds. But then he also says there's going to be a cry of command a voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. Now this is where some of you think, oh boy, Jim doesn't have time to finish all this. Guess what? To be really honest with you, no one really fully understands all of that. I could take a scripture here and a scripture there and try to prove something, but as I've dug into it, I actually am leaning toward the fact that those three things might all be the same thing. They might read as three different things, but I think they could be the same thing. Listen to what he says. He said in verse 15, We declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. Now, listen. When John was on the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, he heard a voice behind him, and it sounded like a what? It sounded like a trumpet. And he turned around and who did he see? He saw Jesus in his glory. And then in chapter 4, he said this. And then he said, I saw a door open in heaven and the same voice that I heard on the earth called to me, come up here and I'll show you what's going to take place after this. And so after having given the message of the letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, John's taken up into heaven. And from that point on, chapter 4 of Revelation all through chapter 22, the church is not mentioned on the earth at all. You see the word church and church is in chapters two and three and chapter one. But from chapter four on, the church is not mentioned. Oh, there are saints that are mentioned. And though I believe those are the tri-tribulation saints. But the church is not there on the earth during that time. And the voice that John heard was like a trumpet. Now, there are some that try to say, because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, as we saw earlier, at the last trumpet... And some people try to tie it to Revelation chapter 8 through 11 and the trumpets, you know, and their opening of the seals, there's seven seals. And then on the seventh seal, there's seven trumpets and then there's, of course, seven bowls. And there are those who try to associate the last trumpet of Revelation chapter 11 with the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15. But to be really honest with you folks, there are a gazillion trumpets in the Bible being blown of all different kinds. And I think what Paul's saying here is, is that when Jesus comes in the cloud, he's going to have a cry of command. It's going to be like the voice of an archangel. It's going to be the trumpet of God. And we're going to come. We're going to go be with him. By the way, how did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? He just called him. Lazarus, come forth. 
how does Paul end this section of Scripture? 1 Thessalonians 4 verses, well, we'll look at verse 16 to the end. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, those who have come with him, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Two things I want to deal with as we wrap up in the last minutes we have here tonight. The one is the first one is this. Remember how I told you John was on the island of Patmos and he hears a voice like a trumpet and he turns around and it's Jesus. And then he hears that same voice in chapter four say, come up here. I'm going to show you what's going to take place after this. And when he gets up into heaven, he's in chapter four and chapter five. I don't have time to walk you through it. In Revelation four and five, he sees the glory of God on his throne. And he describes the same thing that Isaiah described in Isaiah six. You see the seraphim and the living creatures and same thing that Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter one and the coals under the altar. But John sees something in Revelation four that Isaiah doesn't list and Ezekiel doesn't list. He sees around the throne, 24 thrones. This is important. You know why? Because at this point, it's after the rapture of the church. The 24 elders are the church. If you do a study and you go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles chapter 25, you'll know that back in the time of David, when the nation of Israel was multiplying and God was prospering them, any male that was born to the tribe of Levi became a priest. Well, they all of a sudden had so many priests, they all couldn't serve in the temple and they had to take turns and they broke them all down into 24 divisions. Oh, by the way, in chapter 25, they had so many singers. Everybody wanted to sing the special at Christmas and they all couldn't sing the special. And so they broke them into 24 divisions, all representative of the whole group. And they took turns in chapters two and three of Revelation. Again, I don't have time to show you the exact passages, but you can go see it for yourself. Jesus makes these promises to the churches. If you conquer to him who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Oh, and he also said this. I'm going to dress you in white robes. I'm going to give you golden crowns. And John gets up there and he sees 24 thrones around the throne. Isaiah didn't see him when he was there. Church wasn't there yet. Ezekiel didn't see him when he was there. I think he would have listed 24 thrones around the throne. But John sees them. And he says, I see 24 thrones and seated on the throne were 24 elders wearing white robes, golden crowns, and sitting on the throne with Jesus and the Father on his throne. When we get to the tribulation period and the opening of the seals, the church will be with Jesus. Oh, there's so much more. The 144,000 witnesses, you know who I'm talking about? The Jewish witnesses that are going to go at the beginning of the tribulation period are going to be sealed by God, 12,000 from each tribe. The Bible describes them in, in Revelation chapter 14 as first fruits. Well, if they're still a part of the church... And the church is still here when that happens. They're not first fruits. They're just a continuation. But here's a new time period. And they're the first fruits, which means we have to be gone. Oh, and then when he starts opening the seals, the souls under the altar who have been killed during that time period are crying out, Lord, forgive them. Is that what they're saying? No. They're saying, how long till you avenge our blood? 
During the time period we're in, we're in the age of God's favor and the day of God's grace. And we're to be saying, Lord, have mercy on them. Don't, if you're looking at what's going on in Israel right now, saying, Lord, get Hamas, get the Palestinians, do whatever. Listen, you don't have the heart of Jesus. What he's doing right now is he's doing a work to bring Israel to himself. He's doing something to bring the Palestinians to himself. And we pray that the Jews would come to faith in Jesus through this, that the Palestinians would come, that we would say, Lord, forgive them. You've given us mercy. Give them mercy. Yeah, but they've done horrible things. So have you. So have I. But when we get to the tribulation period, that's a time of God's wrath. The church is in heaven. And those who are killed during that time are saying, how long till you avenge our blood? And God says, hang on, I'll deal with it. But they're not told, don't talk like that. Oh, and then he says this in verse 18 of our passage, encourage each other with these words. Guys, I got encouragement for you. The next thing on God's calendar for us is the rapture. Now, you either are going to be a part of it, second in line because you're alive, or first in line because you've already gone to be with him. And you're going to come with him because remember those who are dead in Christ, their bodies are going to get changed first. And then we who are alive are going to get caught up with them and go join them. I think that's kind of something to look forward to, isn't it? Do I have to understand it all? Nope. But I can tell you one thing. I got no problem walking around with a big stupid grin on my face between now and then. Because he said he's going to do it. And I believe him. I love you guys. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for coming.